Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to Octopulse, our Detroit News, Detroit Red Wings podcast. I'm Mark Faulkner, Detroit News Assistant Sports Editor. I'm joined, as always, by our Red Wings beat reporter, Ted Colfin. Coming up on the podcast, we'll hear from Riley Bregman, a defenseman with the number one ranked Ohio State women's hockey team. She's from China Township here in Michigan. And coming off her first appearance in the U.S.-Canada Rivalry Series. But first, Ted, last night, another injury, another loss in Minnesota. Philip Heronic was put in concussion protocol after that open ice hit by Ryan Reeves in Minnesota's 4-1 to victory. That's a four-game winless streak, outscored 12-4, to with Larkin missing last night's game and the third period of Tuesday's one nothing loss to Carolina. Of course, overall, they're okay after 29 games. They're 13, 10, and 6 for 32 points. Three points out of the wild card position. But the teams are chasing. The Rangers have won four in a row. The Capitals have won five in a row. And even the Senators will be in here Saturday afternoon. They're just four points back. What did you make of the Reeves hit last night, Ted? And what do you make of the loss of key players like Ronick and Larkin, the illness to Oli Mata to go along with Bertuzzi, Fabry, and Verona? Let's face it, Mark. They they have a lot of key people out of the lineup right now, and you know when when they had a few people out, it's they mm-hmm. could cover it up with their depth. But I don't think too many teams around the league have the depth to overcome what's been happening to them. Uh, you you saw it last night without with no D- Dylan Larkin, there was nobody really to to drive the offense. I mean, they struggled to get anything going really. I think the schedule may have caught up a little bit with them last night too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's too uh, they need some of these people to come back. I mean, if Larkin, you know, like uh, when we're taping this right now, was, there's still no news, no update on Larkin. I wouldn't expect anything until maybe Friday's practice. But if he's gone for any length of time, Mark, I think, mm-hmm. you know, it's not good situation. It really isn't. I mean, you don't have very many people who can produce offense in this lineup right now or just ignite the attack like he can. Um, and then you were, you were reading the standings. Mm-hmm. It's, it's starting slowly to slip away here. Uh, if Tampa wins tonight, maybe you have it offhand. I think they would open up a seven-point lead on the Red Wings if I if I remember right. If they win tonight, so uh, it's all of a sudden, you know, the first three spots in the Atlantic Division are kind of being set in stone by the teams that, largely speaking, we all kind of felt would. And so then you're kind of thinking about the wild card, but mm-hmm. just like you said, Mark. Those teams in the in the other division, the Islanders, the Rangers, Washington's really coming on, and they're getting a little. They'll be a little more healthier here in the next couple of weeks. And Florida's still in the hunt, obviously, and Florida's playing pretty well. Suddenly, even the wild card doesn't seem all that <laughs> realistic, especially when you're going in the other direction, and all those teams are playing well. And I think I saw a stat here. I think I put it in my story or recently, but I think they're what they're one five and one against the last seven playoff teams from last season that they okay. faced here in the recent weeks. It's kind of eerily similar to last year, Mark. If you remember, there was a stretch where they there was like a seven or eight game stretch in the schedule 
when they faced the likes of a Tampa, Boston, Minnesota, Vegas, like eight, seven or eight teams that they were bound to make the playoffs. And sure enough, they went two and six, I think, if my memory holds right. And it pretty much knocked them out of any sort of playoff chase. We're kind of, it's kind of, history is kind of repeating itself a little bit. We're seeing it all over again here. Uh, Washington and Tampa are on the docket for next week. So those two aren't going to be easy games. And like you said, Ottawa's playing well and they face, face Ottawa twice. They lost all three times to Ottawa last season, I remember too. Hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it's getting to be a, could be a turning point in the season. As far as Roenick, yeah. uh, I got to be honest, Mark, I want to get your feelings on it. It was a heavy hit. No question it was a big hit, but look, I, I think it was a legal hit. I mean, the, the way Roenick wasn't clearly paying attention to where he was, he turned his head. Mm-hmm. He was susceptible there, but he was to blame for not you know, keeping his head up. And I got to be honest, I didn't see anything egregiously wrong with that hit i mean what are your thoughts on it i mean well there was there was no penalty on the play no right? penalty and, on the play and apparently ted you're right why was he looking back sometimes that if you're was kind of a little bit foolish yeah well he thought there was a delayed penalty so he was looking back to see if the goaltender was coming off and then of course reeves stepped up and hit him and the point i tell you my god one of the was one of the hardest hits i think i've seen in quite some time i tell you well reeves is like two he's a big body too he is one big body and he leads the league and hits the last six seven years and the wings later on ben sherratt fought reeves after reeves upended lindstrom in the corner the wings wallman right away went over to Reeves. Other players on the ice were Sundstrom, Rasmussen, Perron got in there right as well. And afterwards, Lalonde said, look, we're not that kind of team. We don't have those kind of players. He goes, I don't think we'll ever have those kind of players. And the Wings don't get into those kind of games very often, do they, Ted? It's not... No, it's not that. That's not their game. And especially the way this roster is constructed this season. Now, the other big story last night was Magnus Helberg getting the starting goal ahead of Alex Nedeljkovic. Nedeljkovic has won just two of his eight starts with a 4.09 goals against average and an 8.80 save percentage. Helberg, the 6'6 Swede, he signed with Detroit just last month, his third team this year along with Ottawa and Seattle. Here's how Wings coach Derek Lalonde explains the team's three-goalie situation now. Well, I think this was the plan the whole time. Um, Helberg was actually on our roster and just down on a conditioning stand. Um, did what we asked of him, get some games. Um, went uh, well for him. Now we're game to game with our three goalies. So Villy will play on Tuesday uh, versus Carolina, and then we'll go from there. Um, Probably a post-game decision on what we do on Wednesday. Uh, could be Billy. He looked really good in his last opportunity back-to-back. Um, obviously, we have the option of three guys now, so that'll be a post-game decision on Tuesday. What did Ben say? I mean, did you talk? Did you talk to anybody on the staff? How do you look? Of course, I got feedback constantly in communication with uh, not only Ben and the coaching staff there, but Steve and Sean Horikoff. So. Yeah, they said he, he performed well. And again, I just like that he did what we asked of him. 
Um, he did not have to agree to the conditioning uh, stint. Uh, he did. He went down there and played, I believe, four games and uh, played well. So it's good on him. Ted, we talked about Derek Lalonde having these difficult conversations with his players, and this one would rank right up there. That's a bold move last night, starting Helberg, claimed off waivers instead of Alex Nedeljkovic or Vili Huso, who was getting a rare night off. And moving forward, with three games against the Senators in 14 days, I can see, Ted, Huso getting the next five starts before a back-to-back in Pittsburgh and in Buffalo. How do you see Lalonde figuring this one out? I don't know about you, Mark, but I I think Mr. Helberg at least earned another start. I mean, Mm -hmm. he definitely stabilized things last night. He wasn't at fault for any, you know, for the defeat. I agree with you. I mean, when you kind of alluded to it, it really really speaks to maybe a lack, a slipping lack of confidence on Nedeljkovic. I mean, they've given him opportunities, not as many here lately, but just has inspired has not inspired a lot of confidence that's for sure um mm-hmm. he's struggling and you know that obviously they still want to they still have thoughts of maybe the postseason or why not they want to stay in contention here you know, you know giving helberg the opportunity here to play and they're they're obviously obviously feel a little bit more confident with him in that right now than Adelkovich. and but the you know the, the other part of all this yes huso has played well but Mm-hmm. Boy, you're you're getting in that like the uh, the coaching staff remarked the other day. It's like you're getting into that gray area where you're worried about overworking Huso, who hasn't really you know sure. gone through a fifty or sixty game season in the NHL, and you, you know you start getting him tired, and that presents a problem. And but I mean, there is a little bit of a breather here in the schedule coming up. There are some days off. You can probably. Mm-hmm. You know, I can use Huso for, like you said, four or five of those starts. But in terms of the rotation, yeah, I mean, you got to figure Mr. Nadelkovic has fallen to number three in this three-man merry-go-round. I mean, just has not pr- got gained any traction at all this season. And go heading in, you know, and if we're looking ahead and you really wonder what his situation will be heading into free agency this summer, do you retain him? Do you go in another direction? Um, after that solid first half last season, he just hasn't been the same goalie since up next on the uh, podcast, it's time for our interview segment. And our guest this episode is Riley Bregman. Joining us now is Riley Bregman, a Michigan native from China township, a three-time state champion with bell tire and little Caesars and an NCAA champion last year with the Ohio State Buckeyes, who are ranked number one this year. Riley, welcome to the podcast. What's it been like defending this national championship? The team is 14-2-2. You have the first-ranked power play, and you just came off a weekend split against Minnesota Duluth. Are you getting other teams' best games? What's it been like, Riley? Yeah, thank you, Mark. Thank you uh, for having me. Um, you know, to touch on your first question, you know, it was an incredible experience last year to be able to win the national title for the first time in program history. But, you know, when you think about that, it puts a lot of pressure on us because, you know, winning it last year, we're taking, you know, as a team, we're taking the pressure as a privilege and proving mm-hmm. each and every day why we are still number one. You know, our ultimate goal this year is to have a repeat. So, you know, 
our main focus is taking it day by day and focusing on what we can do better each and every day to allow us to achieve that goal. But to touch on this year, you know, it's been a great year this this far. And, you know, we've seen a lot of great teams and a lot of great competition. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that has allowed us, you know, we've had ups and downs and it's allowed us to come together as one to, you know, back onto my point about pushing each other each and every day. And that's something we pride ourselves on. So, you know, we've been honing in on the little things like our board battles and physicality and conditioning. Um, You know, those are just like the little things that are going to allow us to be successful when it comes to, you know, the great competition and being able to compete all the way and play a full 60 minutes. Um, You know, our, our conditioning is something we pride ourselves in and kudos to our strength and conditioning coach who, takes a lot of great pride in that and kudos to all of us for you know honing in on each other and pushing each other each and every day. Riley you mentioned board battles you're a defenseman you talked about contact even though officially there's not body checking allowed in women's hockey how physical is it you played in the Canada and the U.S. rivalry series so you've seen the game at its highest level how fast paced and how there is contact But what's it like as far as those board battles and contact? What's allowed and what's not allowed? Yeah, so when a lot of people think of women's hockey, they think, oh, like you can't touch each other compared to men's hockey. There's no checking. But, you know, honestly, I would compare us quite up there with the men's hockey. You know, we're very physical. You know, we're allowed to necessarily not like absolutely hit each other, but, you know, we lay the bodies. So just being strong in the corner battles and focusing on winning all those battles, you know, like you said, against when I played for team USA, you know, you're competing against the best players in the world and every single one of them is very physical, very fast. So adjusting to that type of play just, you know, makes you better as a player just to allow the, uh, the adjustment to be able to, you know, compete against them and show who, who and what you value. How good is the game right now, Riley? You've come up through the Michigan system, the hotbed of hockey here, with all the top coaches like Manon Riom and Little Caesars and Bell Tire. But what have you seen as far as women's hockey and the depth of talent and the speed of the game? Let our listeners know what you think that you've seen as far as the improvements and where the game is right now. Yeah, so a little bit of background on myself. I grew up uh, playing boys hockey all the way up till freshman year of high school. And that's mm-hmm. when I made the change to play on the female side. And, you know, I think just that experience with the boys and that physicality I think has allowed me to you know express some of that in my style of play now um you know I think the girls game has grown tremendously and kudos to all of the Olympians and everything like that who have you know expressed the way to grow the women's game so you know it's it's up and coming and I'm super excited to see where it can be you know just comparing it to even when I was younger to where it is now it's a super fast physical game and just everyone's hockey IQ and everything like that is really up and growing. Riley, you mentioned your style of play. How would you describe your game? Are you a defensive defenseman? Are you joining the rush five on five? Are you moving up on the play, reading plays, battling in the corners? How would you describe your game and how it's improving and what you still have to learn? Yeah, so for me, I would say I'm more of a defensive defenseman. Um, You know, coaches and my teammates have also been pushing me each and every day. So allowing myself to build that confidence and join the rush when I know I can. Um, Mm -hmm. One of my best attributes is my skating. So using my skating to my advantage and then just being super strong in front of the net and, you know, making the right plays at the right time 
having a good hockey cue is something else I would say. Um, but for to focus on, I think it's just like building that confidence, like I said, you know, and I'm getting pushed each and every day by some of the best players on our team. So credit to them for making me a better player and and credit to our coaches as well. Raleigh, you just competed in that Canada U.S. rivalry series in Kelowna, Kamloops, and the largest crowd ever to see a woman's game in Seattle. In fact, one of our previous guests, Megan Keller, was on our show after the largest crowd ever played in Anaheim right before the pandemic, which broke a record of the largest crowd to watch a women's game here in Detroit. So it went Detroit, Anaheim, and then your Seattle game. But what was that like? You're in the dressing room with players like Kendall Coyne, Schofield, Amanda Kessel, Alex Carpenter, Hillary Knight, of course, the captain, Megan Keller, who we mentioned briefly as well. So that was your first step, right, with USA Hockey as far as getting into that culture, that atmosphere? Yes, yes, that's correct. So just to touch on my experience, uh, you know, it was an amazing experience to be able to put that jersey on for the first time at the highest level was just an incredible feeling and a moment that I truly will never forget. You know, when I was reflecting on my experience, I told someone how I felt like when I first walked into the dressing room (laughs) and, you know, I thought to myself, wow, this is an incredible experience to be able to standing in the same locker room with someone I've looked up to my whole life and actually multiple girls on that team, you know, just to be able to not only be there with them, but to compete against them for a good period of time, you know, just allowing them to not necessarily push me around, but to make me a better player. So it was just an overall incredible experience. What is the rivalry like, Riley, as far as Canada and the U.S.? They seem to meet all the time in world championships and the Olympics. Canada's come out on top recently in the last couple of worlds and the Olympics, but it's gone back and forth. And oftentimes it's a coin flip. In fact, when they met here in Plymouth in the world championships, it went into overtime and Hillary Knight scored the winner. But do you get a sense of the Canada-US rivalry? Yeah, absolutely. I would say it's one of the best rivalries in women's hockey. Um, You know, there's such great players from both sides in both countries. So to be able to watch them compete, um, you know, all of the games have been extremely close. So just seeing the change in the back and forth is just truly incredible with how much, you know, also back to the women's hockey and how it's growing and all the great players who are a part of these programs. Riley, how did you think you played in those games? You had the assist. When you look back, as you said, as you reflect, were there some things you would have liked to have done more, hang on to the puck more, or were you making safe plays? How would you evaluate how you played? Yeah, absolutely. So obviously, you know, playing at that high level, especially in Seattle with a sellout crowd and breaking the record, you get those nerves. You know, I I even get the nerves when I play against big teams here in our conference, but, Mm -hmm. you know, I do have to credit Ohio State and all my teammates and coaching staff because I did feel very prepared to go play at that level you know and just for me it was like making the right plays like you had mentioned you know making making them fast making sure I do it right and just enjoying the moment I thought that was the biggest thing for me every opportunity that I had to step out on the ice was incredible and I just made sure I was enjoying it and doing the right things. Riley you just mentioned your coaches and the coach at Ohio State is Nadine Muzzerol, a Mississauga native who came up through the ranks, ironically, of Hockey Canada 
Seven years ago, she took over the program after former coach Jenny Potter was fired for committing NCAA violations. At first, she said she just watched the team sort of grow, and then she worked with uh, recruiting and going into the transfer portal and developing this culture and this sense of pride in the hockey program. What are your thoughts about Coach Mazzarell? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, she is an incredible human being, both on and off the ice. She's an incredible coach. You know, it's super uh, inspiring to see what she did with our program here at Ohio State, you know, taking it from being almost ranked last to being, you know, winning a national title within a time frame of, you know, five to six years. So that is truly incredible and all kudos to her for the amount of work she puts in um, both with us on the ice, but also, you know, in in the background. So she she's at the rink late, super early, you know, she puts in that time commitment, but mm-hmm. it's also back to what she she's done for the program. And she's built that team culture. She's she worked with um a Navy SEAL and I'm sure once you talk to her, she'll explain that to you. But sure. she truly has changed this program around and it's great to see where it has come and you know super excited to see where it will be in the future and all credit to her for everything she's done what are some of the things she talks about in practices the up tempo i'm sure moving up on the play defending what are some of the themes that she talks about because five on five play she said recently it hasn't been as good all coaches i think like teams <laughs> play better five on five your team has a top power play uh, in women's hockey. So that's clearly an advantage. But I'm wondering what are some of the themes and that she's talking about as far as the style of play when if, if somebody goes out to watch Ohio State and the women's hockey team, like what kind of team will they be watching? So she prides us in being that blue collar team, uh, being mm-hmm. physical. And we also one thing that we do pride ourselves on, like I said earlier in this podcast, was our conditioning. You know, our conditioning is something that we take very serious here because we want to be that team who can make it through a full 60 minutes. So, you know, these are just like the little things being physical, being relentless and, you know, just being that blue collar team that honestly no one wants to play against. What are some examples, Riley, of conditioning? What is a typical week or how do you measure as far as what shape you're in? You said if you might be playing 15, 20 minutes a game or more, have you noticed a huge difference in your conditioning in the last uh, three years? Yeah. So something we wear is a puller. So it tracks our heart rate and our recovery as well. So, you know, that's something that we take very serious here is our numbers and how we perform, but also how we recover. So having that balance between the performance, which comes along with the conditioning but also how we recover so that we can bounce back you know it's a quick turnaround usually we play at 6 p.m on a friday and 3 p.m on a saturday so there's not that much time frame so we just hone in on the little things and make sure we're ready to compete both days riley can you talk to us briefly about two other michigan players on the team senior forward brooke bink she has four assists in 18 games she's from escanaba as well as junior goaltender Amanda Teely. She is from Milford, and she is an 8-1-1 one, one record and a 2.07 goals against average. What's it like having both Brooke and Amanda on the team? They're both two amazing girls. Um, I actually, Amanda and I played together for three years in high school, our last three years together. And, okay. you know, we've just built that special bond together. We also live together. Um, and, Brooke, on the other hand, we also have a great connection, great friendship. Um, we never played together, but 
we did see each other around at the rink so we knew who we were knew who each other were and you know they're just both great people and both awesome to be around and both great athletes riley how about the uh, michigan ohio state rivalry of course <laughs> in football i'm sure you get this all the time they're now in the college football playoff final four now the last two games haven't fared as well for your ohio state buckeyes <laughs> but overall what's that rivalry like yeah it's a huge rivalry um you know, so honing in on the football uh, here at Ohio State, the week prior leading up to that big game, um, we cross out all the M's with a red X on campus. <laughs> and, you know, we don't even call uh, Michigan the team Michigan. We call them uh, the team up north. So, you know, there's just that huge rivalry. It's such a great experience. You know, this is our first time actually being home in my three years that we were able to you know, experience some of the what goes around on campus and just experience all of that. So that was a great experience. But, you know, back to, uh, you know, if I go home and people ask or they hear when my parents talk, oh, your daughter plays for Ohio State. And they're like, boo, Ohio State, you know, from the state of Michigan. But then it's also like, well, there's no D1 program in the state of Michigan. So honestly, this is the closest uh, to home. So, you know, that's something else that (laughs) that truly hits. Riley, what's it like at Ohio State in Columbus? You're studying sports industry with a minor in coaching and education. Exam week is next week as well before the team returns to action against Cornell on December the 17th. I'm wondering what it's like as far as the atmosphere of big college. You're not here, of course, in Ann Arbor at Michigan. They don't have, like you said, a women's D1 program. But what's it like as far as mixing Uh, both academics and this high level of sports performance where the team, again, is trying to win back-to-back titles. I absolutely love it here. Um, The educational piece is incredible. Couldn't have asked for a better experience. Um, Mm -hmm. And just, you know, that balance. So it's finding the balance between being a student athlete, honestly. And, you know, it's an adjustment at first. You put in a lot of hours at the rink. So you also have a lot of school to do. So it's just finding that proper balance to be able to, you know, perform both in the classroom and on the ice. And finally, Riley, you talked about maybe the goal of being an Olympian. The first goal, of course, would be Cornell. Well, exams first, and then <laughs> Cornell. <laughs> Cornell, and then, of course, trying to defend this title. I'm just wondering what your thoughts are now as you progress, you know, through this year and as you try and, again, make an impression to to make that to make that USA hockey team, either at the Worlds or Olympics, or even during these rivalry series. Yeah, absolutely. So I think just for me, it's just focusing on myself and my style of playing, just pushing myself each and every day to get better, just doing the little things. So, and honestly, I have such an amazing uh, coaching staff to allow me to push myself each and every day, but also the girls on this team are, you know, outstanding players. So they push me each and every day. So I think it's just honing in on the little things, you know, just building that confidence and, Mm -hmm. you know, it's taking the right steps into the right direction to get to my ultimate goal. Riley, thanks again for your time today on the podcast, talking to us about your number one ranked hockey team, the challenges of winning back-to-back championships, as well as your USA hockey experiences with the Canada-US Rivalry Series. All the best in defending that title. Thank you so much. Our thanks again to Riley Bregman. Now let's hear from David Perron of the Red Wings. He played in his 1,000th NHL game against Dallas last week. Only the 376th player in NHL history to reach the milestone. Here he is talking about 1,000 games. I mean, it's a lot more games than I thought I'd get to in a way, but... 
Um, I think he just keeps striving for more, and it's funny when uh, it feels similar, I guess, like not not close to winning, but a cup. But when you kind of get to like milestones and stuff, you, you almost like early on in your career, you take a breather, and you're kind of like happy that you get there. And I think as you get older, you, you almost don't get satisfied with, with anything. You just want to keep improving, keep getting better. And I'm hoping that uh, a thousand is just a number, and I can keep adding to it. And uh, Again, like uh, you have to find a way to evolve throughout the years. I would say every five, six years, the league changed. It, it kind of gravitates to a new type of play, and I'm proud that I was able uh, to do that. E- even though like skating was never my my best asset, but I've I'm able to get to the areas I need to get to on the forecheck, um, power play wise, all that stuff. Being able to play uh, all kinds of situation, uh, whether we're up or down a goal, that's something I wasn't doing when I was younger, and. I had to adapt to that play, and I take a lot of pride in that as well, and I want to be out in those situations, so hopefully I got many more games. So, Ted, by his own admission, skating is not his best asset, but David Perron's tenacity, keeping those plays alive, holding off defensemen until teammates arrive, his power play one-timers, 26% of his 278 NHL goals, have come on the power play and leadership in the dressing room, which the Blues miss, trying to break in players like Jordan Cairo. Perron is fourth on the wings in scoring with nine goals, 21 points, 40 hits, 13 block shots, plus two at age 34. Did you think, Ted, he could produce as much as he has with these leadership skills here in his 16th season? I tell you, Mark, he's he's been a uh, he's been a, an eye opener. He's mm-hmm. one of those players that you know he didn't get a chance to see much playing in the Western Conference, but he is a real solid pro all the way around. He's a real solid pro. He's been a real strong addition for this lineup. Uh, he's really good. He's really good on the on the power play. I like the way he handles the puck. Just eyes the ice, makes good decisions there. Plays and then yeah, plays with a lot more grit than I kind of real had ever yeah. seen or knew. So yeah, he's been a good addition. And but I hate to look this far ahead again if, if they fall <laughs> out of the race here in the next few weeks. But what do you do with him at the trade deadline? I mean, signed a two-year contract. So if you do put him on the market, a, a team could have him for two playoffs essentially. Sure. So would somebody be willing to give up a first rounder for him? I I wouldn't be shocked. I don't know about you, Mark. I wouldn't. He's. I think he'd yeah. be a, for a first rounder for a playoff team. I think that'd be a fair acquisition for them and something for the for the Red Wings to think about. I would think um, he's been good, but you, I think his value increases almost with a playoff contender. He's almost somewhat being wasted and find a rebuilding he's doing a great role here he does a good job here but yeah i think his value just simply increases for on a playoff contender and finally ted let's hear from austin zarnick he's 30 years old seven years in the nhl he's played with boston calgary the islanders seattle he's just five nine a two-way forward from detroit 
who played some junior hockey with Compuware, Honey Bake, Bell Tire. Here he is talking about his line with Joe Valeno and Jonathan Bergeron. I think we just understand where each other are, and that's that's a big part of it. You know, the chemistry's there. You know, we talk a lot. Uh, you know, we're always together, I feel like, off the ice. Um, so, you know, anytime you can build that chemistry and just understand where each other are and, and what type of players we are, I think that helps. Ted, you heard Austin Zarnick there talking about taking care of his own zone first, defense first. He's also chipped in with a couple of goals and assists. He's plus one in 11 games. How much ice time, though, would you give him with all these injuries? He's playing nearly 12 minutes a game, while high-scoring wingers like Dominic Kubalik are struggling with more ice time. Last night, Kubalik was minus three. He turned the puck over on the game-winning goal, a one-handed effort inside his own zone. He's been standing around a lot lately, a lot of flybys, stick checks, if you're Derek Lalonde, you need offense. So do you play Zarnik more and you may not get that offense? Or do you keep sending out players like Kubalik and, and hoping that the power play will click again and win a few more low-scoring games? Mark, that's a good point there, with, especially with Kubalik. It seems like the stars kind of faded here slow, uh, last, you know, whatever it is, last week or two. He's just mm-hmm. not quite the same player he was at, right off the bat. Um, I mean, let's be, if everyone was healthy on this roster, Mark, yes, Zarnick would be in Grand Rapids. I mean, let's be brutally honest, but he's, he's come, he's had an opportunity here with all the injuries and whatnot, and he's done a nice job. Uh, he's filled a nice role. Good, good feel good story. A local kid who's, well, he's not even a kid anymore. What is he? 28, 29. He's played well. He's been impressive. He's, he can help a team, but. They really, they're really missing all these people, Mark. Like we we said at the start. I mean, we got Larkin, Bertuzzi, Jacob Brana, mm-hmm. Fabry's hasn't played at all, but Fabry seems to be. He'll be. He's close to returning. That'll help. Those are very, very, very key people on this roster, and you know this lineup would look a lot different if you had some of these people back. And that'll do it for episode 81 of our Detroit News, Detroit Red Wings podcast. You can find all of Ted's stories online at DetroitNews.com, as well as on our Octopulse Facebook page. Thanks again, everyone, for listening, rating, and reviewing these podcasts. (laughs) 